Hi, I'm Claudia and you're listening to The Brain and Brand Show, where you'll hear science and inspiration from guests like neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. As the conference MC was introducing me, I felt exhausted. How on earth will I find the energy to motivate more than 400 people to think about their brain power when mine is so low? The speaker before me was full of life and the crowd was on edge, waiting in anticipation for a talk that would change their life. As I stepped on stage, I felt dizzy. Faces were blurry, stomach uneasy, a cold, awkward silence filled the room. I gathered myself, greeted, and thanks to seven years of speaking experience, I managed to offer enough insight with just enough energy to get a mild round of applause. Once I sat down, it was clear that something in my life has to change. The next day, I reached out to a neuroscientist friend of mine and described my symptoms. She explained that my dilemma seemed to be diet and exercise related. For the following two months, I began altering my diet and exercise, and sure enough, with a lifestyle change which included more fresh vegetables and a whole lot more water, the change not only elevated my energy levels, but massively impacted my ability to recall information when I was speaking, ideas began to flow. No longer did I grapple with the stuck on the tip of my tongue factor. This was eight years ago. Since then, I've become a researcher and an evangelist of optimizing brain power through designing a healthy lifestyle. I often come across people who inspire me, and today I'll be sharing with you international speaker James Yates. He's based in Australia, but we caught up while he was in South Africa. He's the founder of Reignite Enterprises with a lifelong mission to create unique solutions that support the evolution of consciousness and the enhancement of human potential. Welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. It's been some time, but thank all of you for keeping in touch. Many of you have emailed me on podcast at timothymaurice.com and shared your thoughts. I really appreciate it. As mentioned in the previous episode, I'm researching a number of stories and bringing you more serious content like the recent Power of Human Capital series in partnership with Duke Corporate Education. This special episode with James Yates is inspired by the sheer insight and audacity of James, a man I met recently through a mutual friend. James and I share a mutual passion for biohacking for optimal human performance. And thanks to a combination of ancient health secrets and breakthroughs in neuroscience and behavioral science, you're going to find this conversation fascinating. As you'll hear, he and his partner ignored the prognosis of doctors about not being able to have a child. And they changed their lifestyle. And that changed their life. Meet James Yates. So for nearly two decades, you trained as a bodybuilder obsessed with fitness. And then one day, that image sort of shifted and changed. What happened? We, we had a few things happen in our life. And I say we because it was both myself and my partner, Chantel. And um, what happened was, was she had been told that she couldn't have kids. And um, when you have that kind of um, that realization and someone tells you that you, you can't do something, um, I think the... The um, attitude I always had was, well, I'm going to prove them wrong, right? I'm not going to go down the path of taking someone else's truth on as my own. And so we had this challenge ahead of us where um, we had to change everything we thought we needed in order to become healthy and successful. And so although I felt at the time I was a picture of health, looking back, I realized I was far from it. So there was this, this pivotal moment where we looked at each other and we said, you know what? We're going to have to not only change you know, the way we train and the way that we 
eat and the way that we move, but we're going to have to change all other facets of life as well because success in, in life is multidimensional. So there was that really key, key point at that point because at, once that happened, life was never the same again. It was a complete shift into a whole new attitude more than anything. And we always say, you know, your attitude determines the altitude in which you fly. Well, I changed dramatically. And I, and we often say things don't happen overnight, but sometimes when there's a pivotal moment, it really does happen very, very quickly. So for more than a decade, you saw yourself in this image that you sort of lived in and you, you know, you sort of transported to the world as a successful image though. Mm. It must have been difficult to transition, or was the purpose that you were seeking so powerful that it made the pivot fairly easy? Yeah, I mean, th- I think it was all around awareness and realization. And when when you have a level of awareness that something hasn't served you um, in its full capacity, so I mean, as a business guy, you know, life was good. As as a, as a guy that went to the gym, life was good. But there's only two facets of so many different areas. And so once I realized that there were a lot of areas that were missing, um, that 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 passion, that vision, that drive was so much greater than all the challenges that I was going to face in terms of that transition. You know, yes, people know you as someone. They know you as a thing. We we in our world today, it's linear, isn't it? You know, people do this right rather than being a human being, right? So sometimes when we see people change. We say, well, what happened to you? You know, what's wrong, <laughs> right? Um, but for me, it was a matter of saying, you know what, that's all going to come anyway. And I think we all need to understand that when we, when we adapt and when we change, we are going to have our critics. We are going to have people that look at us differently. But it's a matter of staying true to our own values. And I think the value piece for me was what drove it all the way through. I need to ensure that I stick to my highest values at all times and I know I'm going to be okay. So let's go back a bit further. You know, so prior to your sort of bodybuilding type of archetype that you had, what were you like before then? Take us way back. I want to go back. First of all, you were born. Tell us where you were born. What were you like as a teen? Yeah, so I was born in in Sydney, Australia, and um, to a family that that had you know a, a beautiful vision for life. And my father worked massively hard to ensure that we went from a, a struggling family to a family that was comfortable. And um, throughout my, my childhood, I was always the, the musician. I was always the, the guy that was creative. And I, I guess what happened as a result of that is as I got into my early teens, um, I was kind of different to some people, right? I, I think the creative guys and girls sometimes get a little bit of stick for, uh, for, for doing that. And so I was in a, a schooling system that was um, not supportive of that. And at the time, you know, I started having, you know, the... Uh, the old bullying scenario kick in. And I love talking about this today because I hit it for so many years, but so many people go through this, right? You know, they, 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 they're completely sort of outcasted to, to the, the common group. And as a result of that, for me, um, you know, I started to have a lot of challenges. And so all of a sudden I would go home not wanting to go to school the next day. And, and, and I had all of these, you know, these fears that, that kicked in. And I always say, you know, we were born fearless with doubt non-existent, yet all of these challenges that we face sometimes become, you know, a, a, a different, well, it creates a different version of ourselves as a result. And so then we don't stay, stay in our authentic, congruent world, right? We feel like we have to conform to what other people want. And so at the time, I felt like it was a physical thing. I felt like all of a sudden now, well, I'm going to have to, you know, become stronger and bigger and, and, and fight that battle that way. And so I found the gym as my outlet, right? And this was like my my meditation at the time, right? I would go there, I would lift heavy weights and it would get me to a stage where I learned so much about discipline 
about you know belief about showing up on the days that you you don't even want to do that so from a physical perspective i learned a lot in terms of what it takes to become successful um and i i'll never forget when some of those guys starting to go into the gym and they would see me and i thought ah you know because i was 10 times bigger than them but again the problem with that was that i was putting on a facade right it was it wasn't truly that real that real james and um and i lived that for so many years and you know, from a neurological perspective, you know, we, we convince ourselves of things and all of a sudden we become those things because we, we think those things so often. So I thought I was this, you know, this big guy that would travel the world and show people how to become successful. But the, 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 the thing that was missing in that whole journey was the fact that I wasn't going back to who I truly were. You know, there's the person you were born to be and there's the person you were taught to be. I wasn't being the person I was born to be. So this, this bodybuilding self, this image, I want people to have that in their head, was serving a specific void. And it was articulating a position that you felt safe in. Did you attract your wife while you were in this sort of look, in this image? I was probably halfway between the two at the time. So I, 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 I definitely wasn't at my biggest, if you'd like. But um, I, I, I guess what, what attracted Chantelle and I together was a lot more of the in-depth conversations that brought out the, the true version of myself. Um, so we were still physically out there, you know, training a lot. And she was too. She was obsessive with running. I was obsessive with lifting, lifting weights. Um, but it, it was definitely the attraction for me, I think, was more, hey, I can be myself here. Right. And that's where the transition began before we even had these challenges that came up afterwards. So she had probably probably picked up instinctively that you're already in this space and she was drawn to what was happening inside of you. Uh, Fascinating. So let's talk about how you sort of designed this new you sort of describe the fundamental difference between this this previous self and this sort of current self. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, I always start with awareness is the first step in transformational change. You've got to become aware of something so you can change it. And um, and so for me, the, the, the I guess how we've gone about this, and I keep saying we because it has been, I always talk about to change something, sometimes the best thing to do is to do it with someone else, right? And that's on that same path that has similar values as well. So that's been a very much a, a joint process. But I think, you know, the, the, the first step was looking at, the environmental piece and the lifestyle piece. You know, to create change, sometimes if you're in your existing environment doing the same thing over and over again, you don't even see, you know, that, that there are things going on that aren't serving you. And so once you take yourself out, if you can take yourself out of that environment and then look in, all of a sudden it's like, hang on a sec, what could I do better? And so we, when we had that initial challenge, when Chantel said, was, was told she couldn't have kids, it was like, okay, so now we've, by accident, been thrown into that scenario to look in. So we had to make a choice. And I think we don't have to have a challenge that bad to, to start to do that. Um, we can have awareness right now by just starting to look at where we are in our lives and, and identify, are we feeling fulfilled? Are we feeling happy? Are we feeling congruent? Or are we feeling a little bit stressed and run down? And, you know, it's that push, push kind of approach, or are we going down that ease and flow approach, right? So sometimes that's the first step. But what we then did is said, okay, we can go and follow systems, right? Everyone's got systems. You know, go go back to the fitness industry. Hey, you can follow a system to lose weight. Nutritionally, you can do the same. Uh, business-wise, you can do the same. Neurologically, you can do the same. However, are those systems systems that are designed for us personally, or are they just general systems? So for us, what it was, it was saying, okay, what about putting ourselves into an environment where we can make the right choices for us? And that's a big difference, right? Putting ourselves into an environment where we can make intuitive-based decisions. Because, you know, we all have this gut feeling. 
you know, and we know when something's right or something's wrong. And sometimes we go, oh, I wish I knew. I wish I listened to that gut. I knew that before, right? Um, and so when we're in an environment where we're able to make um, choices that are serving us best, then we start to say, okay, what's going to be better for us? So here's what we did. Number one, we started to look at what we were doing health-wise because that's the foundational principle to everything, right? Sorry, quickly. Yeah. So did a doctor or some sort of medical person suggest to you that a shift nutritionally and health-wise would increase your chances of fertility? No. no. So this is the, the this is the funny thing for us. It was about um, we rebelled so much against that message, which came from the medical side, right? Right, and and I've got so much respect for what where medicine is in terms of what it can do in the world. But sometimes we've also got to go in in, in internally and find solutions that make sense. And so. Let, let me paint the picture a little bit more. As a guy that was heavy training, you know, going down the path of lifting heavy weights, I'm talking you're eating a lot of protein, eating a lot of fats, and you're probably not eating enough fruit and vegetables. Even though we say, hey, you know, five a day or five and seven or whatever, whatever the country we live in, there's always that average, right? Five veggies and two fruit a day. We weren't probably doing that consistently enough. And as a result, we start to put a lot of toxicity into our bodies. So intuitively, I said, you know what? Maybe I need to eat more fruit and veggies. As simple as that. That's a simple conversation. And as I started to do that, I found myself, I was more full, so I didn't need to eat as much protein and, and fats. And so all of a sudden, I found my body was balanced a little bit more. I was actually, mentally, I was more alert. You know, I was using nature's fuel, which is there, you know, to provide our cells with all this great nutrients. I was using that more. And so as a result, then all of these other things that we needed to do later on in terms of some of the other environmental changes just happened as a flow-on effect from that as well. Got it. What, what, what's, in, what's intriguing to me, and I'm imagining for the listener as well, is that was it your own sort of personal development was it your own sort of research, your own sort of insight? What was it you had been exposed to that made you think that the shift in the toxicity internally could produce a result that could end up giving you a child? I, I was fascinated. I've always been fascinated with human potential. And that goes back to looking at even what the Egyptians and the ancient Greeks did back you know, thousands of years ago. And they understood a lot of the stuff that we're still trying to discover now scientifically. They just understood consciousness at a different level. They understood fasting. I mean, Hippocrates was, was recommending fasting as a central point of healing thousands of years before it's become a, a popular biohack, right? And so by looking at all of that and then following some key influences that are in that sort of holistic, but not, not so holistic that it's like, wow, this is crazy stuff, you know, stuff that's been still backed in the modern age, we started to look at some of these influences and we said, you know, what's step number one? So step number one was actually fasting. So we actually got into a position where Chantel did this first. So she fasted for, for like 11 days, right? And this is crazy. I mean, we don't recommend now, now knowing what I know. I don't go and tell anyone to go and fast for 11 days off the cuff. But she fasted for 11 days and she felt amazing. And so then I tried it as well. And we started fasting regularly. Now, here's the reason that we fast. Because when you're in a fasting state... From a consciousness perspective, you are completely at another level because your your energy is not going into digestion. It's going into all of the energy and the mental capacity that we have. And so what you find is after you get over the hunger pains, all of a sudden you start to feel really alert, mentally clear. You know, your cognitive function kicks in. You start to look at the world very, very differently. And what happened for me is how you break a fast is one of the most important things in, in terms of the protocol. You know, so you don't you don't want to go and break a fast after a few days on on you know heavy foods, right? So fruit and vegetables, nature's source, was was some of the most important. And at that point, I said, you know what? I just don't feel like eating on any of this heavy stuff anymore. And so I broke it with a, a nice piece of fruit. You know, it's as simple as it is. And I've never looked back. That was literally a pivotal moment in that whole transformation. Because once I was in that state, 
and I was going into intermittent fasting. You know, that's popular right now. You know, people are doing that every single day. And I was doing this long term every 90 days. I was doing some form of longer fasting. I was able to then make decisions that definitely served me because I knew they were serving me because I wasn't suppressing it with food on those emotions that were coming up as well. So once the toxicity and so forth was sort of being channeled out of your body, etc., you found yourself in a situation where you and Chant- Chantel found yourself in a situation where you started to come alive and there was this sort of hope arising. Yeah. You felt connected at a higher level, even as a couple. 100%. What yeah. was that like? Yeah, really, really um, empowering, actually, because um, I, I guess when you when you are in a certain, a certain sort of style of living, um, you know, you think it's that's that's the way it is, right? And so, but once you get to a state where, you know, all of a sudden maybe your mental clarity is, is, is greater or you've got more energy throughout the day. You know, I, I used to wake up in the morning like sluggish, right, exhausted. And nowadays, I realize that the first two hours in the day are the most important. They set you up not only your days, but your weeks and your months, right? And so waking up with energy was was phenomenal. And so there were all of these little areas here that now impacted all the other areas of our life. You know, it was was a flow-on effect. Relationship, absolutely. The conversations we started to have, unbelievable. We were talking rather than, hey, what are you doing today? Or how was your day? We're talking about consciousness. We're talking about neuroscience. We're talking about, you know, fasting. We're talking about all of these things that can impact us to live a better life. And as a result, when we started talking like that, then our circle around us, the close friends, started to naturally get intrigued. And we realized that we were able to impact other lives as well with this conversation. It was just a conversation and we were experiencing it. We were never trying to take our truth and make say, hey, hey, Timothy, you've got to do this. We're just saying this is what we're doing and people are saying, hang on a sec, that actually makes sense. Let's give it a go as well. Let's talk about the the spaces and the design of the home and the systems and so forth you put in place. You have your health food stores close to where you live. Do you change your pantry at home? Like, tell us about the actual system you put in place to be able to immerse yourself. In yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. And I would say that the system has evolved from the, the point of, of that initial decision to, to where it is now. Um, and, and, and how it evolved was we, we started to eat a lot more plants. We ate, started to eat a lot more hydration you know, base foods. So, so things that are water-based, right? And obvious things, you know, fruit and vegetables are great. So that's always a starting point for me. I'm not going to tell people to cut out what they're, they're eating all the time. I'm just going to make sure that they start by eating some, some more healthier things. But for us, the system was, okay, where can we, and, and we actually went extreme with the system. Because of what we were doing business-wise, we had the flexibility to live anywhere. So we chose a tropical environment. So we basically moved to a place in Australia where we could have, you know, an abundant amount of fruit and vegetables all the time. That was a really key decision for us. Um, then what we did is, is in, in addition to that, we made sure that we were eating seasonally. So finding fruit and veggies that were, were in the environment at the time. And then we would find, rather than going to the shops, and this is the thing where I get scared still today. All, and, and I don't know how, how much this is happening globally in every country, but I know back home where I am, every single bit of fruit and vegetable or, or anything that's sold in the shop is is fumigated with something, it's, it's sprayed with something, and uh, it's not in its real form. And so we wanted to then go to the, the source. So we found all these local markets, right? And so like every few days, we would go and go to these markets. And the reason we would go every few days is because, you know, quality food doesn't, it doesn't last long, right? So it's not meant to last in the pantry for a week. It's only meant to last a couple of days. Once it's picked, you've got to eat it. So that's the system where it started. It was about the fruit and the vegetables and things like that. It was also about, okay, um, making sure that we're eating a, a large amount of colors. So making sure there's variety between things as well. And, and, and I guess that's, that's a really easy picture for someone that's maybe listening today that's saying, okay, well, where do I start? How do I take control of my health? 
color, eating more colors is, is definitely the starting point. But cutting out anything that's in a pack, you know, anything that's in a packet is probably not healthy for you. There's a few exceptions, but the, the, that's really important as well. So sometimes it's not just about what you do in terms of moving forward. It's what you eliminate in the process, what's not serving you. And the first level of awareness to that is, okay, so looking at my life right now, what is not serving me from a health perspective? You know, is it that I'm hanging out with people that are smoking and drinking too much? Is it that I'm eating foods that are coming in a packet that are fried and, you know, that, that always is going into the system and it's not, not good for us? Um, or is it the fact that, you know what, I just need to increase my intake of these particular things because I've heard that they're good. That could be a starting point as well. I mean, you mentioned in a conversation that you and I had around things that are eating things that are sort of alive versus things that are dead. Yeah. Just sort of explain that sort of philosophy. And then after that, share with me your thoughts around you you also mentioned around fruits and, and foods that have an image like our arteries and grapefruits and mm-hmm. so forth. Touch on those two things. Yeah, absolutely. So so basically, you know, it's it's quite fascinating in terms of how the whole um, digestion works in the body. And to keep it really simple, this is just averages, it's about three hours it'll take for a piece of fruit to go through the body. You know, so stomach into the small intestine into the large intestine. So digestion takes about three hours. Now, um, the reason for that is they're very high water-based content. So with that, it goes through the, the body a lot faster. Uh, vegetables, a little bit longer, but still quite fast, you know, sort of four, four to six hours, depending on the person. Once you get to the grains, though, the heavier things, you know, they can take 18 hours to get through the body. Now, just imagine you're eating, you know, some form of grains at breakfast and three hours later you're eating more grains. What's happening? Well, you're eating and you're putting things in the body on top of the other things. And so there's this whole constant, you know, backup, backlog of what you've been putting in the body. That's going to slow you down energetically. You're just going to feel, you know, flat. Um, and then add, add meat on top of that. That can take days. It can take even longer. Right. And so, you know, the, 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 the key to understand is that we need to be eating things that are hydrating that at a cellular level. And if we're getting our water source through fruit and veggies, that's a great start because it's living water. Right. It's, 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 it's alive. And, uh, and, and that's what's been put in front of us as well. I think humans, we try to overcomplicate this whole thing. You know, we want to manufacture, we want to market, we, we, and we want to sell that message so then everyone buys into it, which is, you know, it's a great way that the world's gone, but it's not great if it's not been serving us from a health perspective. So we've got to make some decisions on that. And then what was really fascinating is I started to, to look at different, um, I guess, leaders, thought leaders in this space, you know, this holistic, nutritional sort of space. And um, we started looking at there's this whole thing um, where some of the actual fruits and veggies are in, in similar shapes um, to different parts of the body. They actually look very, very similar. And it's funny that the nutrients in those actually have a similar um, benefit to the body as well. So, for example, it's called the Doctrine of Signatures. And um, I first heard about it through a guy called Don Tolman. And, um, you know, you look at an avocado. Um, if you cut it open, it looks like the womb, right? And the seed looks like, you know, where the baby is, right? And uh, it's amazing that avocados are really, really good for, for, for health in that area. Um, if you then look at, um, you know, for example, you know, carrots, you cut them. We always hear carrots are good for helping you to see better. Well, you cut them in half and all of a sudden you see it actually looks like an eye as well. So, you know, this is stuff that science can't really explain, but it looks like nature had kind of worked it out as well. So we use that as a bit of a fun sort of foundation not that we say this is the, the full and complete truth with everything you don't just eat carrots for your eyes you've got to eat other things as well but it's quite interesting how correlated a lot of nature is for the bodies as well well it's very clear that this sort of lifestyle shift and um, rethinking about how you how you engage in your partnership and how you created a life produced a child 
How has it impacted your actual career? Let's talk about the fundamental difference between when you were in this sort of bodybuilding self versus your current self and what you're able to do and accomplish because you travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're on the road, what more are you doing because of this? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's the conversation of linear versus multidimensional. So before it was all about business was all about single dimension. So for example, you know, in business, we often talk about focusing on one thing. Um, but what I realized in hindsight is I wasn't living my passions. I wasn't doing the things that light me up. And I say now when someone says, well, what, what's, what's some advice to help you go and achieve, you know, help me go and achieve my goals? Um, one of the first questions is, is how you eating, right? Because that's going to help you sustain your energy. It's going to help you focus more. It's going to help with all of that. But also not only how, how are you eating, but you know, what are the, what are the, 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 the things that you are doing on a day to day basis to ensure that you are constantly working on you? And that means that, you know, your morning routine becomes part of this. Uh, that means that your relationships become a part of this. There's so many different facets here that we need to look at. So I went from this single dimensional focus to now a multi-dimensional approach. And, and from a career perspective, what that's allowed me to do as well is take a very different angle when someone says to me, Hey, James, how do I become successful? Um, you know, it's, it's so funny. So many of us go after the money, which is, it's needed. And a lot of us say it's, you know, it's needed in terms of, um, you know, you've got to survive with something. But the problem that we have is that's often at the, it jeopardizes our relationships, our health. There's all these other things that miss out because we're so single focused. And so I had a client a couple of weeks ago that said to me, Hey, hey, James, listen, I'm, I'm struggling financially right now. What do I do? And I just said to him, Do you find meaning in what you do? And he said, No. I said, Well, there's the first thing. You know, his question was then around time. He says, how do I become more productive? I don't have enough hours in the day. We hear that all the time. And I said, do you find meaning in what you do? And he said, no. And so all of a sudden I've gone from this, well, rather than giving him a system and a process to now find more time in his day, or there's two minutes there and three minutes there, I'm focused on the fact that purpose drives productivity. So this is, again, it's it's, it's kind of like an evolution here. So career-wise, I've gone from being the business trainer and coach to now, literally, I feel like it's almost like a life coach role uh, without branding it that way. But it's more so, hey, you can have everything in your life if you desire, that you desire if you're willing to take a look at every aspect of your life and make sure that you up-level in all those areas as well. You can get balance. I mean, if you look at nature, it's all about the equilibrium. Everything balances out. You know, something, something uh, fire comes through and, and then all of a sudden it starts growing again, right? It all impacts each other positively. Um, and, and, and in life, it needs to be like that across all areas as well. So again, we're talking, you know, mindset. We're talking health. We're talking, you know, relationships. We're talking business. We're talking the relationship with money. Talking all of these areas as well. So to answer your question, success is a multi-dimensional job. Take us through one day as we wrap this up. Take us through. I know your day has changed, and I know if you're on the road versus when you're home, it's slightly different. But just give us an idea. What time you wake up? Take us through your day, and then what time do you go to sleep? Yeah, great question. So it definitely changes when I'm I'm not at home because I have a two-year-old at home, right? So he's up at four a.m. But I do try to get up still around sort of five o'clock. Um, I always believe waking up with with sunrise has a beautiful you know, connection, um, for, for many different reasons. And I feel like we, we can get very productive in the morning if we start the day right. In fact, the, how you start your day is everything. And so I have a very set routine, um, that doesn't change even if I am on the road, even though the time that I get up might change a little bit. And that is the first two hours are technological free. 
like no technology. Um, and the reason for that is that 86% of people are reaching for their phone first thing in the morning, and that puts us into a reaction mode. Basically, what that does is, firstly, it fuels our dopamine addiction. So basically, we have this this one of these happy hormones that is based really triggered with anticipation and rewards and things like that. So we pick up our phone and we start scrolling. And then what happens when we're scrolling it is we get an email through and we have this fear that we have to respond now, right? It's almost like, you know, the fear of, of, uh, of missing out. Even though we could respond later, our, our, our body wants to, to get into that right now or our minds. Now, the problem with that is our cortisol, which is our stress hormone, starts to increase. And then we're getting into reaction mode with everything. You know, our stress hormone's designed to get us out of scenarios. You know, back in the day, it was like the saber-toothed tiger was chasing you, and it was designed to get you out very, very quickly. Now, the problem that we have when we reach for the phone is our cortisol levels raise, and they stay elevated for the entire day. Now, the frontal lobe of the brain, the fr- frontal part of the brain, doesn't even work at its full peak, right, or, or nowhere near its peak when you've got stress in your life. And so we need to look at how do we hack that, that piece right now. How do we hack? How do we become more productive long-term? MBI, move, breathe, set your intentions. That's what I do every single morning. Now, I'm not talking about going to the gym anymore, but I'm talking some form of movement, some functional movement. Um, if I'm in a hotel like this morning, I was literally in my hotel room because there was nowhere else to go. There was not even a gym in this hotel that was was worth using. Um, so what I did in that that instance is I did some some lizard crawls. like So, you know, like a, a push-up that kind of then pushes you down into a lizard kind of movement. And that's what it's doing is it's helping with so many different parts of the body, you know, as well as that core region as well. So, for example, it's movement first. So move. Breathe is then some form of mindfulness and mindfulness at least for 10 to 20 minutes. Now that can be done in very various different ways. That could be some form of meditation, um, you know, where we're actually following maybe a guided meditation. For me, when I do something in the morning, it'll be intention based. What am I looking to accomplish for the day? Um, so I can sometimes include, you know, B and I here out of the MBI together. Um, other times it might be some sound healing. Um, yesterday I was, uh, I was running a big conference and I woke up very early and, um, I needed to ground, right? And I, that's an intuitive feeling. Sometimes we feel like we just need to, need to ease into the day a little bit more. So what I did is I put on some sound healing, which is some sound meditation, some music, and I made sure I focused on my breath. Um, now we know, you know, scientifically there's a huge amount of benefits in terms of doing that regularly. And then the final piece of the MBIs is intention. So we've moved. Uh, 20 minutes or, 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 or equivalent. Uh, B, we've breathed for 10 to 20 minutes. And then I for intentions is we say out loud what we're intending to accomplish today with the end in mind. We've already done it. So for example, it might be 6 a.m., but we're saying as if it's 6 p.m. And it could be as simple as, you know, today, if you're in business, it might be today I've accomplished, you know, I've contacted five people for my business and I feel amazing. And you are connecting the emotional attachment there and you're convincing your brain that you can do this. And this is very, very powerful. So very simply, it's MBI. And then I intermittent fast, so I don't eat anything normally until around lunchtime. Um, and the reason for that is that there's a huge amount of benefit in terms of, you know, all of the, the healing parts for the body. And I mean, you can look at science based on intermittent fasting if you haven't already just to see what that can do for you. Um, but then when I break my fast, I go into a nice fresh juice, always made, um, you know, fresh, whether that's an orange juice or something like that. I, I generally have a mono juice. So that means one type of fruit at a time. And from there, my day really kicks in after lunch. So uh, from a business standpoint, the morning is all about me. It's investing in me. It's investing in myself. There might be some meetings still in the morning. There might be meeting great people, but I will always try to book my meetings in the morning because I always do the things that are most productive first. I believe connecting with others is the number one tool towards creating financial success. We don't 
connect with them to create financial success, that's a byproduct. But we need to understand that connecting with people on a day-to-day basis allows us to grow as well. So if you go back to the simplicity, it's owning your morning, not being reactive, MBI for about, that'll take about an hour maximum. Then it's getting into anything else you need to do. Gratitude. It can be positive mind attitude reading, you know, reading some great books. It can be connecting with people. But then by lunchtime, and this is an entrepreneurial schedule, right, by the way, but by lunchtime, you are absolutely rocking and rolling to get onto all of the stuff that often holds people back. The emails, the admin, all of the things that require you to be on technology. So by doing that in reverse to what I used to do, I mean, first thing in the morning, I'd reach for the phone, I'd get into everything, I'd be on the computer all day, I'd be exhausted by 3 p.m. Now, I'm in my absolute prime at 3 p.m. I'm feeling great, and I'm able to then, when I do switch off, know that I feel accomplished. So sleep is important. What time, what, how much sleep do you try to get? I know it's, it's difficult with, as an entrepreneur, especially with a baby, but what, <laughs> how much sleep do you try to get? Yeah, a minimum eight hours. I mean, you know, it, it's, there's so many studies out there now showing the benefits of sleep and the importance of sleep. Um, and we've always known it's important, but I think as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to, um, you know, uh, replace sleep with an extra activity. And so, you know, your functionality throughout your day is going to be driven based on how quality that sleep is. So here's the other hack as well. Um, never put your, 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 yourself on technology for the last two hours of the day either. Because what that does is it suppresses our melatonin, which is basically going to help us to sleep. So uh, generally, I'll go to bed at, if I'm getting up really early. I try to be in bed by like 8 or 9 at the absolute latest. I used to be like a 12 a.m. kind of guy, right? So this is a very big difference. But again, just owning it, investing in you, that can lead to so much more long term. I want to just ask one final question, and that is when you look at your child and you look at your child's eyes, and you think about the world that they're going to be in when they are professional. What are a couple of things that you hope for your child? You, you hit a really amazing point there, Timothy. As you were saying that, it's like, you know, the emotion, um, you know, that, that, that comes through. And for anyone listening that is a, is a parent, um, we have such an amazing responsibility, but such a great opportunity to be able to help the future generations to, to really shine so bright. And I think from my perspective, the word conscious, has always been a really important word, you know, um, conscious parenting, you know, being in a position where we explain why rather than saying no all the time, um, you know, explain why things happen. We allow him to be a part of, of, of what we do from a day-to-day basis. So my hope with, with all the tools that we're giving him now is for him to make decisions that serve, um, you know, the, the, not only his greater good, but the greater good of humanity in the way that he's able to utilize a lot of these tools now, even straighter as a two-year-old, uh, where he knows why he's eating fruit and veggies. He knows why he's, you know, getting out and meeting new people. He knows all of these things. And I just generally believe that, that we can create a much uh, more abundant, happier world if we're giving these tools to, to kids um, early on. So, look, ultimately, I just want him to be happy. I want him to be himself. I want him to be able to do all of the things out in the world that, that are uh, there in front of him as opportunities. But ultimately, the, the, the connection piece here is that he has... Um, the tools so he can go into life and make decisions that are going to impact positively everything around him as well. Thanks so much, James. You're an absolute rock star. Check out his work at www.jamesyates.me. You can find his social media handles there as well. Stay subscribed for a few special episodes coming soon and make sure you share the Brain and Brand Show with a friend. Thank you.